Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. Every time we get together, we explore the intersection of God's story and your story. And we do that through um, a guest who opens up his or her own life and um, shares with us what is that connection in their life with God, especially the role of the Bible or Scripture in their lives. I have been looking forward to this conversation ever since it went on our calendar, and it had to. I got sick, and we had to reschedule it, and finally it is happening today. Today I get to interview Stephen Curtis Chapman, and um, his, his bio, if you've uh, been around church at all. You've been influenced by his music. I don't even know if these are the latest stats or not, but since launching his career uh, in the late 80s, five Grammy Awards, 59 uh, CMA Dove Awards, seven times Artist of the Year. I mean, we could go on and on and on about that, but there's so much more to Stephen than, than just the songs that he's produced and performed. Stephen, thank you, and welcome to Step Into the Story. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you, Phil. Man, it is great. Thankful this finally worked out for us um, to get together and appreciate so much what you guys do. Um, it's a great, great, important ministry, and I know it encourages and reaches so many people. So uh, thanks for letting me be a little part of your guys' story and share some of my story and God's story with you all. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Mm. Well, we're going we're gonna to go back in time a long ways. Um, you were born in Paducah, Kentucky. Is, is that correct? And That um, is true. And yes. as we're recording this, um, I grew up in Normal, Illinois. So between Atlanta oh, wow. and yeah. Normal, Illinois is a great stopping off place in Paducah, Kentucky. So I know <laughs> right where that is. Um, you were you were born. Um, you'll turn sixty this year. Welcome yes. to that party. That's not a that's not a <laughs> fatal event. Um, yes. You know, a lot of people are saying most productive decade of life is now from sixty to seventy. Um, I don't wow. know if you've heard that or not, but um, I haven't. But I'll take it. <laughs> we're, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's the new thirty. So we'll, we'll uh, yeah, grab hold of sure. that. Um, I got it. Your your mom and dad, um, your dad especially, um, was a musician himself, correct? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a real musical family. My dad uh, was a actually pursuing music uh, as a as a career or profession um, when I was a little boy. My earliest memories were my dad and his buddies. His his uh, he played in a group. Uh, had a couple of different groups. They had he had a group called the uh, Village Singers. And it was a folk, kind of folk and bluegrass music, of course, being from Kentucky. So my earliest memories were musical memories. My dad playing music, and I just fell in love with it uh, at, at the earliest age I can remember, um, listening to my dad play, listening to the sounds of that kind of music, you know, acoustic guitar, upright bass, banjos, fiddles, uh, mandolins, you know, those kinds of sounds, wow. harmonies, vocal harmonies. Um, so I, I've loved music since I was a kid. My dad was an aspiring songwriter. He would go from Paducah to Nashville, about two and a half hour drive, and he'd go and try to pitch his songs and try to get started in the music business. His dream was to someday play on the Grand Ole Opry. Um, you know, that was kind of his, mm -hmm. his dream and goal when I was a, a little boy. And, um, and, and then um, our sort of journey uh, of faith, when it began for my dad and my mom and really our whole family, all within the span of a few months when I was about seven years old, really changed the trajectory of my dad's life and thus the music that he was interested in and involved in, which would, of course, mark my life uh, for all these years uh, of, of my faith journey and, and creative journey. So you have not solved the uh, debate of the ages of Heredity versus environment. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Because you, you had both yeah. of those working, um, uh, part of your gene pool, and also yep. just you grew up with music. I, I yeah. found it interesting that then after high school, 
you headed off to uh, be pre-med um, on a on a track, maybe <laughs> to become a doctor. I also had that background. I'm, really, I'm I'm interested in that. Um, what was the what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, well, I'll back up and and uh, you know tell tell you this part of my story. So, uh, I was seven years old. My parents, uh, my my dad playing music. My mom would take me and my brother to church, but that was kind of my dad wasn't at all opposed. He just was not uh, his faith he had as a child was not anything he'd carried into his adulthood and and not an important part of our our family's DNA. Um, music really was for him. And when I was about seven, my my dad had grown up without a father uh, in his life. His dad left home when he was about three and Sadly, alcohol destroyed his his life and relationship and body. When my dad was about nine, his father passed away, and he never so he never knew him. He never had a relationship with him. And uh, when I was a, uh, about seven, my dad went to church. He wouldn't go on the weekends. He was usually out playing music. But he we had a revival in our our church, and all week there were there were services in the evening, and he was around. And so my mom co- coerced him to come to church with me and my brother and her. And by the end of that week, I saw something really start to change in my home, in my life. My parents had committed their lives to Christ, and they had begun to sort of their faith journey of following Jesus. And I was seven. I watched this kind of start to change in my home. Um, I watched us start to pray together as a family. I heard my dad, you know, we'd read the Bible together as a family. All these things were new, and and I loved what they were, the impact they were having uh, in my home. And so then when I was uh, it was a few months later when I was eight years old. I still remember uh, sitting in church with my family and our pastor, Brother David McMichael, was the pastor who led my family to the Lord. And um, he was preaching. He got to the end of his message and he said the words and he was, I didn't know he was quoting from Revelation. He said, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in. And I remember as soon as he said those words, my heart started to, to beat and I started to it was a, you know, not only spiritual, but a physical uh, reaction to what he was saying. I could sense mm-hmm. something happening in my heart and, um, and I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't expecting it. Um, I had observed and, and seen what was happening in my family. So at that point, uh, that was the morning that I really began my faith journey. And it was God's word. It was just speaking the truth of God's word and the, the way that it impacted me and the way, you know, he explained, Jesus says, I'll come in and have a relationship with you. I'm not coming in to make you religious. I'm not coming in to, you know, to, to have you come to church once a week, uh, you know, and, and be religious. I want to, you know, have a relationship. I mean, scripture says I'll come in and, you know, sup with you was the a King James version he used, which I didn't understand that at first I was thrown, but then he explained, that's the word for have a meal. He wants to come be a part of our life and uh, every part of our life. And so that was uh, the real turning point. So as a result, our music, as a family, I grew up singing in church with my family. My dad started to pursue, you know, he did, he'd laid his dream of making it in the music business down. He started a little music store called Chapman Music, where he still teaches guitar lessons there in Paducah. He's 83 years old. Mm. He still teaches guitar lessons five days a week. And um, and since I've been a, a blessed to get to have him on some of my recordings, singing and playing with me uh, on an album I made recently called uh, deeper roots where the bluegrass grows and it was a bluegrass record that I made my dad came and sang and played on it with me and in fact we played on the Grand Ole Opry so that you dream did. that my dad had so all those God years, gave that dream back after God he gave laid that it down. dream yeah after all those years and he got to do it with his son singing music about God's goodness and God's faithfulness which is just what an amazing story of how God you know if if we trust him you know sometimes those stories that he's going to tell are way better in our versions of the story. Um, but all those years later, then I, I, you know, I'm writing songs in high school. I'm singing songs. I love music, but my dad now had had a music store, a little, you know, mom and pop music store there in Paducah. And he had seen me, you know, a, a gift for music and a love for music, but he sat me down and he said, you know, son, God's given you a really bright mind. I had made straight A's, you know, on a couple of report cards and done well in school. And dad said, I think it's hard to feed a family playing a guitar. I think you ought to go to school. If you're going to go to college, 
go get a real job, get an education and get a real job. Then you can always play music later, but, but use this time in your life, to, you know, to study and get a, a, a real job. And I said, well, you know, okay, yes, sir. I, I, I was pretty compliant as a kid. And I, I looked at the list and I went, well, let's see, doctor, that's about as real of a job as I guess you can get. I'll try to do that. That was about how much uh, passion and thought I put into it, which turns out you need a little more of a calling uh, to a pull little, off. You know, a little more, yeah. yeah Organic chemistry is waiting for yeah, those right, that yeah. <laughs> uh, just kind of had a feeling one day. Yes, I, yeah, I, I cannot so, believe the parallels. Um, I came to know Christ at 10 at a neighborhood Bible club. and Same way, wow. pretty, my mom's faith was a pretty big part of her life. My dad, not so much. And then... Yeah. And then only it was it was more in my teenage years when when um, he really put his faith in Christ and he would say I I finally fulfilled some vows that I made in foxholes in World War II. Oh wow! Um, yeah. But to to see the transformation in his life and I also was was pre med and gave it about as much thought as you did. <laughs> um, I didn't have music as a as a competing thing, but um, yeah. So. So uh, went to a couple different schools, but then, then the medicine fell by the wayside, and you decided to focus on music. Um, how, how did that yeah. decision take place? Well, I was. Uh, you mentioned it. I mean, I I, I had left chem- chemistry class, I think, and uh, I was struggling just miserably at trying to keep up. And I thought, I'm in my first semester. And I'm already behind and lost. There's no way I can do this for what twelve years or whatever, you know, to try to to become a doctor. And at the same time, I had worked the summer before I started college at a place in Nashville called Opryland USA, which was an amusement park. Mm -hmm. I say was because it's not uh, it's it's closed since and not in operation anymore. But it was built around the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, which is still there. The Grand Ole Opry. Uh, and the Opry House, yeah. they built uh, an amusement park around it. And so I had um, been working there for the summer. I met a guy who was a college student who loved music, uh, just saw the show. Uh, we got to talking after I did my little performance there at the park. I was in a country music show with my brother. And uh, we got to talk and struck, struck up a conversation that turned into a friendship. He found out I wrote music. I loved gospel music and I wrote uh, some Christian music. And he said, man, send me some of your songs. I'd love to hear them. I'm involved and love Christian music. I even know some people who do it professionally, who publish gospel music, send me your songs." So I sent him a little cassette tape of two or three songs that I had written. And turns out he was very good friends with a particular songwriter that I had heard of growing up named Bill Gaither. Um, he yeah. handed my music to Bill Gaither, who took an interest in what he heard enough so that he called me and offered to uh, work with me and publish some of my songs and basically just kind of took me in uh, as he did so many artists at that point early in their careers, uh, like Amy Grant and Carmen and Michael W. Smith, so many that had uh, a time when Bill Gaither was instrumental in their in their career. And I found out about this little school in Indiana called Anderson College that offered a music program, not only to study music to be a band director or a choir director which or an educator, which I didn't feel like was the direction I would be passionate about going, but it offered a music program that had things like songwriting and recording studio techniques and things like that. And all the things I was interested and fascinated with. So I changed to went to Anderson College my second semester of college and and entered into the music program there and um, started getting a chance to work with Bill Gaither, started writing songs, eventually had a song, well, a couple of songs of mine recorded, uh, one by um, uh, Sandy Patty early on and then several others along the way. And that really sent me on the path to uh, getting the opportunity to make a record 35 years ago um, and do what I've been doing now all these years. Well, other than uh, the Bill Gaither connection with Anderson College, you uh, you met somebody else there. Um, yes, you, uh, <laughs> absolutely. You want to tell us uh, about you and Mary Beth, how things got started there? 
Yes. Well, I was there my, I think in my third year, uh, starting out the fall semester and just saw walking across campus, this vision of beauty. I like to say that I had not seen on campus before she was an incoming freshman. And, um, I would eventually find out that this beautiful young lady actually shared, uh, my same last name, which caused us to be put together in a mailbox. Nice. The Chapman, Very nice. Uh, we were assigned to the same mailbox. They assigned two students to a mailbox and alphabetically. And it turned out that myself and this Mary Beth Chapman were sharing a mailbox. And that's how we kind of made a connection and met. And I found her in the school cafeteria, introduced myself to her. Uh, was just blown away. I thought this is the most amazing, interesting person I've ever met. I want to know more and more. So I finally asked her on a date. Um, I took her, I like to tell, you know, I took her to Red Lobster because I had one chance nice. to really impress her. So we went straight to the top. Um, and uh, Hey, I our, our first kiss was next to the dumpster at Denny's. So I'm not, I'm not yeah. letting Ellen listen to this podcast because you yes, so you far out, outclassed me, but I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of went up to you on that. Yeah, one, you did. But, um, That's impressive. But we, yeah. So we, we went and we, we, I fell hopelessly in love with this young lady. And over time I uh, wooed her and convinced her, you know, that I was the one for her as well. So we shared a mailbox for about a year in college. And then, uh, as I like to say, I asked her to share a mailbox with me forever. And uh, that was 38 years ago, this October. Um, so uh, it's been a, a quite an adventure, quite a journey together. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Um, I want to come back to your family in a little bit, but um, for Stephen Curtis Chapman fans that are listening to this, they're like, talk about the music, talk about the music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, so you were married in 84, then in 87, first album, came out uh, firsthand and then followed by so many albums after that. My, the first one that in a lot of ways became the soundtrack for me for a long time um, was The Great Adventure, which you've probably mm -hmm. only heard that about a million times. Um, <laughs> but I, that was actually introduced to me. I was leading a uh, walk through the Old Testament at a Campus Crusade crew now Christmas conference mm. in Indianapolis, yeah. and that was kind of the theme of that of that whole conference. And they cranked that song so many times. And I grew wow. up in a church background where, I mean, even the Gaithers would have been considered way too radical. <laughs> you know, if it was if you enjoyed yeah. listening to it, you were probably sinning at some level. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. so you know, had been set free from all of that and grace had blown through my life. And honestly, that song, um, it was, it was on my workout track right next to the Rocky theme, which there is no, <laughs> there is no greater yeah. compliment than that. That's right the there. ultimate, that is the ultimate compliment right there. Rocky theme and the great adventure in the same, you know, in the, on the same, uh, what'd you call it? Mixtape. You know, mix yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, um, I've been a big fan for years. I don't, uh, no, does anybody know all of your music? Probably not. There's been so much of it, but different, different favorites along the way. Um, my question would be, I mean, this, this is 40 years now you've, you've been running. What do you think is the secret to that longevity? Because it's unusual. It doesn't happen to very many artists. Yeah, it's, uh, it is uh, an amazing thing to me. Uh, no one is more amazed than I am at that. Um, 35 years ago, my first record uh, came out. And I then, um, I remember saying to Mary Beth, who was my wife at the time, I got this opportunity to make a record. And I, I told her, I said, you know, sweetheart, I'm not, I mean, it, I'm not a great singer. I'm not, you know, at the time it was Russ Taft and Larnell Harris mm -hmm. and Steve Green and you know, these big voices and these great, you know, hit the high notes and, and, uh, you know, chill bumps on your arm, you know, and I was not that kind of singer. I was a singer songwriter guy, you know, who kind of told stories and, and, uh, had this kind of, you know, when people would say, you know, I just kind of feel like, you know, you just sort of 
jumped in the passenger seat of my car and you're just a friend just riding along with me talking about life and you know and and there's just a there's something in that that I feel I don't feel as alone you know when I listen to you and it encourages me um in in a very uh just just sort of common you know everyday way not the you know big you know moment but this mm-hmm. is just kind of you're there just riding along life with me and I, and and so my expectations were pretty uh I thought uh you know fair and accurate and pretty low I thought you know this isn't going to be you know a big you know thing but I think I can feed my family you know my dad said it's hard to feed a family playing a guitar I said I think I can do it because I've got enough interest in a record label and they're going to put my music out there and I'll get to go do concerts and Mary Beth was my first booking agent you know and she sat on the edge of our bed in our little bedroom in Laverne Tennessee and make phone calls to churches and say Hi, this is Mary Beth calling from the office of Stephen Curtis Chapman. She was sitting on our bed, you know, in our bedroom. That was her office. And um, so we were, it was a, just a very humble beginning, but it was a heart to encourage others with music that ultimately was rooted in the timeless truth of God's word. Um, it was the fruit that came from the seeds I felt like that God's word had started planting in my heart when I was eight years old, a little boy growing up and just hearing truth, reading scripture, having that planted in my heart. And as God's word says, it doesn't, you know, it produces fruit and it doesn't come back void. It is living and active. And so as those songs, and I would always put scripture references on my album liner notes and still do, even with this new music, because I feel like with all of my music, if I can ultimately point people back to I mean my words are going to come and go my songs are going to be you know if they last 20 30 years that's incredible what an incredible gift you know but in the span of all of eternity or thousands and thousands of years as God's word has stood you know true um eternal if I can point people to that then that that would be something truly worthwhile and that's really where this started all those years ago and yes I've had crazy unbelievable success my music going taking me places i never would have imagined and albums that would you know give me number one songs like you talked about and grammy awards or dub awards and things like that and yet the reason my new album is called still as i have ridden this amazing wave and gone to the top of the mountain but also gone to the dark darkest deepest valleys uh with my family of losing our youngest daughter and and so many things in our life and our journey the truth is from the very beginning it's still a desire to take these songs that god gives me and the truth of his word set to music and just pull up a chair with somebody and say man can i just encourage you i know it's hard i know it gets dark i know this journey can get hard i know you can doubt i doubt it i do you don't don't have to even feel shame in that because look at scripture Look at the reality. But can I just remind you, God is still good. He's still faithful. I can tell you that from my journey. I haven't lived your life, but I've lived a lot of life. And I've been, like I said, to some some beautiful mountains. I've been some dark, dark valleys. And God has been faithful. And if he wasn't, and if his word wasn't true, I wouldn't still be singing. I wouldn't still be telling these stories. But I am, and I even have new songs to sing because he's still still faithful he's still doing even new things in my own heart and showing me new things that I wouldn't have written songs about five years ago and so that's that's the the I guess to answer the question you know how have I stayed encouraged in that just I feel like as long as I'm living and breathing and have you know as scripture says ears to hear you know and eyes to see what God's doing um, even through the dark clouded glass that we look through now um i stay inspired to want to keep writing those songs and encouraging people Mm -hmm. wow you know there's something about a story um i'm glad that even in bible teaching storying is being rediscovered now Um, Mm. you know it's it's a key to reaching a lot of unreached people groups that may not even have scripture in their language this is how truth is communicated but even people with a lot of education a a story 
versus a sermon, a story people suspend judgment. They enter into it. Yes. They connect emotionally. And um, I'm just really glad that you've highlighted it. Jesus did it, you know, without a backup tape most times, other than nature all around him was his backup tape. <laughs> yeah. But, but he essentially true. was the kind of storyteller exactly what you're describing. We call most of them parables. But um, yeah. there's that to me. I'm, I'm glad you singled that out as, as the explanation because I was really curious about that. Everything you need to dive deeper into God's Word is now at your fingertips with the Walk Through the Bible app. You'll find Bible reading plans to keep you on track with your daily scripture reading and devotionals to help you better understand who God is and apply His Word to your life today. You can hear episodes of this podcast and the Daily Walk podcast, which will help you listen through the entire Bible in one year. You can even shop for resources and find information about our upcoming live events. It's everything you love about Walk Through the Bible, now located in one convenient, easy-to-use app. Download it today from your app store or find out more at walkthrough.org slash app. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot org slash app. God blessed you and Mary Beth with, with three biological children, uh, Emily and Caleb and Will. And then after that, three daughters adopted from China. Um, yeah. My wife and I struggled five years or so with infertility and adoption was presented to us as a plan B if plan A doesn't work. But um, you were, my kids view that now, you know, they, they plan um, to have both children that, you know, are born biologically, but they also have a heart for adoption. You were kind of at Mm. the front end of, of what was a brand new idea that adoption was not just, if you can't have, your own kids. Right. I hate that expression. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, what's the story behind that? How did that come about? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, you're exactly right. It, it, we found that when we first started the work that we do with Show Hope, that so many people would say, you know, even in the church, it's like, man, you know, we do have, I remember talking to pastors, you know, and they would say, yeah, we probably have some families in our church that, you know, have tried to have children and not able to. So we should talk about adoption. And, you know, it was such a, you know, for us coming to the realization as we did uh, when we adopted Shohanna and then Stevie Joy and Maria was that God was inviting us throughout scripture and nowhere more clear than James one twenty seven. true religion. God defines it. You know, he kind of lays it out pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. This is my definition of, you know, what religion really looks like. It's caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And, um, and so you know, our story began with our daughter, Emily, our oldest of our biological children, took a trip with her mom to Haiti. And she was 11 years old. And she met kids, particularly some little girls that she got to befriend and become friends with for a few days while she was there, who didn't have a family. And it broke Emily's heart to the point that she came home from that trip, very heavy hearted and said, Mom and Dad, you know, there are children, millions of children in the world that don't have families. And we know about that. I've known about it. We had friends who had, you know, we had gone to uh, charity as fundraiser events for, uh, you know, adoption agencies and and organizations. And excuse me, she said, but we need to do something about it. I think God's put this on my heart. We should adopt uh, some children. And of course, you know, we're thinking you're 11 years old. We are not, my wife, very clearly saying we're not having any more children because you're busy, you're on the road. Our lifestyle does not, you know, uh, allow for, uh, you know, bringing more babies. We're already out of the high chair and the car seat phase and all of that in life. And um, Emily just began to pray. She said, well, I'm going to pray about this. And I think you all should pray about it, too, because I think God, you know, is telling us that we're supposed to do this. So uh, the more we prayed basically for wisdom to know how to, you know, not crush our daughter's faith, but explain to her that this was not our calling. Uh, the more God kind of kept opening the doors and moving us in the direction of what would lead us to China in March of 2000. So 20, almost three years ago, 22 years ago, where we would meet our daughter, Shohanna, and, uh, she would become, uh, our daughter. 
in a hallway of a little hotel in Changsha, China. And uh, what we didn't know is not only was our life being changed in that moment, and I knew I was going to come home and tell people the story because this was the most kind of tangible gospel moment in our life. You know, it was like, I love the way uh, one of my favorite teachers, John Piper says, adoption is the visible gospel. It really is. It is the gospel story told in a very tangible way. It's a child without hope, without a name, without a future, in an instant becomes a child who belongs with a hope, with a future, uh, you know, with a, uh, a, a, a family. And that is the gospel. God takes us in our hopelessness and our lostness and our even worse, our dead, deadness, you know, and we were, you know, apart from him, you know, without life. And then he gives us a hope and a future in his name and, a, you know, an inheritance. And so we experienced that when we came home with not only our experience of that, but also this new revelation of having walked through the orphanage that our daughter had spent the first seven months of her life in. We saw child after child, little one after little one waiting for their story to begin. And for someone to come and say, you belong and you matter and you have a story uh, to unfold. And so we brought that home with us and uh, began to find that there were many families that wanted to adopt and would love to, but they couldn't afford it. It was the financial barrier that was keeping them from being able to do it. And that's the reason we started this thing called Show Hope that we still do now and have been able to help over 8,000 families uh, adopt a child uh, from 63 different countries um, all over the world. So it's been a, an amazing part of our story and our journey. And we would then, as you mentioned, go on to adopt two other daughters, Stevie Joy and Maria. Mm. And um, it's mm. been an amazing part of our story. Mm. Yeah. Um, we also have an Emily, again, another parallel. Oh, our, wow. Our oldest <laughs> and um, she got connected in college to a children's home orphanage in Guatemala. And oh, wow. uh, thankfully we were outside the age range, so we didn't have to get in this prayer <laughs> yeah, duel with her. Yeah, yeah, you, she's still on, on the board down there now years later. And, um, you don't want to get in a prayer duel with a child. You're oh, not no, going to win. You are going to lose those. that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I know that heartbreak came to your family um, when when you lost Maria in a tragic accident, and I don't I don't feel the need to take you into the pain of that um, mm -hmm. again of that story. Um, so so heartbreaking. Um, I do want to ask you about. Um, I know that I've I've read at least in other interviews that you seriously considered. I may not sing again. And especially the song um, Cinderella that was just such such a beautiful story about a father's love for his daughter. Um, but you made a you made a courageous choice not only to keep singing but also to open up your pain, your grief. Um, you know, when you're a public figure like you are, um, that's a scary thing to do. But I'm just I'm just here to tell you um, the fact that you did that. You know, you talk about wanting to come alongside other people and go, hey, let, let's let's just do a chunk of life together, uh, Stephen. The fact that you did that, as <coughs> hard as that might have been, um, I think that took your ministry to a whole new level in terms of depth and um, authentic connection with a lot of people, but. Uh, just mm -hmm. um, again, not not recounting all the all the events related to Maria's death, yeah. um, but but that that crucible moment after that, where you know, I mean, you, you had your surgical career, you could have fallen back on from yeah, the pre med right. days, yeah, of course, but, yeah. But you, I had my um, one semester, <laughs> had my one semester of pre med. You that said you me. said God, okay. Um, I'll keep singing and representing you. Um, Bible says we grieve not as those who have no hope, but we do grieve. And you right. very yeah. courageously, not just you, but Mary Beth, um, grieved publicly. Um, talk about that 
season of your life. I know it never really ends, but what was that right. like early on? Well, um, we did uh, together as a family make a decision. Um, and I say we made a decision. I mean, I think the decision was, you know, sort of made for us uh, in many ways, but, but we did have to wrestle with, you know, will, will I, yeah, how, what do you, how do we steward this part of our story? Because the part of you that just wants to not even go on anymore and just go be with your daughter, especially trying to lead a family um, through the the unthinkable of losing a, a daughter and a family member, and then all of the circumstances surrounding the accident that uh, took Maria to heaven. Um, but because of that as a family, because it affected all of our family so deeply uh, on so many levels, it was a decision that we had to make as a family. And even as phone calls started to come in from you know, Larry King live and things like that, because we were people, public people of faith, you know, what does it look like for a family of faith, you know, to walk through something like this? We, we talked about, do we need to do this privately or do we need to do this? Is this part of why, you know, now are for a, moment like this if we really believe the story is not over but we really believe like paul says you know if our hope is only for this life we are to be pitied we're, we're missing you know it's 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 a it's really a pitiable thing to think all of our hope was just in this life we're going to get it together we're going to get it good figured out here our hope is in the promise of god for that you know that there's a day coming when he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes that we are going to see maria again you know, that uh, all of the things that I've been singing about, if they're really true, now is the moment when, you know, we got to just, you know, drop anchor in the promises of God when these hurricane force, you know, winds and, and waves are hitting us, that we're just going to hold on to the promises of God that we've been holding on to all this time and I've been singing about. And really, it was our family. It was all of the, the kids. Um particularly uh, my son, Will Franklin, that said, you know, I think the way we honor Maria's life the most is to tell the story of the hope that we have that we're going to see her again. And that's what's going to sustain us. That's how we're going to survive this. Um, and and so we, we did decide as a family to really um, be, you know, in some sense, public with not not our our grief, yes, our grief, but but also our hope, but not in a way at the same time. And it's been one of the ongoing challenges, even 14 years later, my wife said it yesterday, we were doing a little interview together. And she said, you know, I've heard people who would say, you know, when I see what God has done, you know, through this loss, tragic loss in my life, you know, I would do it all again, you know, uh, to see God, you know, glorified in this way. And my wife would say, you know, bless that person to have that kind of faith. I would I would question it and challenge it um, maybe if I saw him and go, is that it's okay for you to feel the the grief and the, even the anger. I mean, look at the Psalms. It's okay to say, God, seriously, really? Right. How long are you going to forget me? You're going to forget me forever because clearly you forgot me. There's a lot implied in those verses in the Psalms. We get, I like to get to the last part where, you know, Psalmist is saying, your love is better than life. I trust you, God. I trust, you know, but there's a beginning where it starts with, with, I, I'm, I'm done for. I, yes. I'm out. I'm, yes. I'm gone. I, I don't, you know, and, and for us as a family, it has continued to be even after 14 years. My wife said it yesterday. She said, I would, no, I want, I would take my daughter back. All the good things that have come from it. God knows my heart. Uh, he, he made me a mother the place she's supposed to be as is in my human humanity is she's still supposed to be here with us. Right. right. Can I get to a place to trust God? Yes. I have to keep going back to it, but it's clearly just by faith. It's looking through that glass. It's cloudy and kind of fuzzy. Every now and then you get a kind of a glimpse of a silhouette of yes, God is good and faithful. But I think the, 
thing more and more that we have wanted to steward well is also that grief that you talk about and not not being so quick to sweep that under the rug out the door because I think the, the the blowback from that I think we're even seeing in the lives of a lot of people in the church that says man I'm I'm out on this you know the start starting all of the you know dismantling of and the, and the deconstructing of faith because wait a minute, I was told God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Wait a minute, this is not a wonderful plan right now that's unfolding in my life. Well, it's not that it's not true that God does have an amazing, incredible, wonderful plan for our life, but our life is an eternal life, and our life is we're seeing now, you know, in this world, we are going to have trouble, but don't lose heart. Remember, I have actually overcome this world and all the trouble that it is going to throw at you and it's going to hurt and you're going to grieve. And Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus and wept real tears, even knowing that he was getting ready to raise him from the dead. Mm. He still wept because loss and grief and death are not how it's supposed to be. Mm. And anyway, stewarding that as a family, uh, even through my music, you know, has been a constant decision to keep saying, okay, God, I'm going to drop anchor again in your promises in the truth that I believe that your word tells us that the story is not over yet. Mm. Yeah. The, um, the cliches just don't hold up during the dark night of the soul. And yeah, uh, again, the authenticity that, that you in some ways even invited a lot of us into your grief, then opened our hearts that, okay, when the worst happens in my life, whatever area that is, um, you know, to realize God is not in heaven. We're not on the chessboard. He's not going, let's see, how can I leverage Maria's early death? Oh, right. wow, bigger things will come out of it. I mean, I, I believe when, when Maria lost her life that God himself was the first one to shed a tear because it isn't supposed to happen it's a result of sin and death and yeah. the curse and someday god it's it's the resurrection but it's also the recreation of life mm. without any sin or death or grief or pain but right now we have to live in the in-between and look yes. forward to that and uh, yeah anyway i think i think some of your greatest impact both musically and by telling your story, has been to other hurting families um, at various stages mm -hmm. of their life. Um, one more, one more question. We go. could, man, when you got a lifetime like you have, um, we could talk five hours. But um, <laughs> what, what's the future hold for you? Um, I mean, I don't see any signs of you stopping. I. I think in some ways not even slowing down, but maybe greater focus, um, maybe some multiplying your efforts through other musicians as well. But um, what's the what's the next season of life look for Steve and Stephen and Mary Beth and 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 your family and your career? Well, you know, I am I, I do have some new music, which is. Um, uh, been quite a journey even in and of itself to, to decide to, you know, release some new music, um, and, and, and kind of, you know, create a new album. I still call them albums. I know it's all, you know, the music, <laughs> the business has changed so much. People don't even, it's like, what's an album, you know, a photo album, you know, uh, a record, you know, and you know what I'm talking about, well, I know what you're uh, talking you about. know, yep. those vinyl discs that we used to make, you know, and, um, but now streaming, you know, people listen to songs and they might, you know, artists might record a song or two or three singles. But uh, I still love just that whole, you know, kind of being able to tell the whole story. I was going to say that's um, because you're a storyteller. Yeah. 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 And I love, you know, you don't take, you know, chapter 14 out of the book and just read that chapter and say, yeah, I've read that book. That's one chapter and maybe the best you know, the chapter where it all comes together and everything kind of, but, but, you know, without one through 13, you know, the setup for that, uh, it's, it's not nearly, you know, the impact and, and you don't get all the, 
you know, all of what that, you know, story really is, is designed to, to tell you and teach you. And um, so, uh, but having made so many records and, and, you know, people having connections with so many of your songs in the past, you know, when you write new music, um, it's funny, I've been talking with several artists, I've heard different ones over the last few years, that artists that have a long history, they talk about when they play new music, even in concerts, it's really funny. They said it's a physical phenomenon. New songs make people need to go to the bathroom. It's a really wow. weird thing that happens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's so true because, you know, when you are, I mean, my wife and I went and saw the Doobie Brothers. Uh, we bought, oh, she wow. bought me tickets for my birthday like years ago before the pandemic hit. It took us three years to finally get to see them. They played in Nashville and we went, of course, I grew up, you know, those, uh, the Doobie Brothers, you know, Michael McDonald and, and those records were just some of my favorite records as a kid. And so went and we're reliving the memories and they said, Hey, we're going to play a new song. We got a new album. And, and truly like half of the place got up and all went to the bathroom or to get popcorn. It was so sad in That's a way. Cause I'm like, wow. As an artist, you're going, no, 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 no. Cause what they're feeling, I feel it. It's kind of like, you know, man, that's a great song. Good. You know, thanks for, you know, it's cool, but man. And then there's that, but, but the great adventure, but man, I will be here, but Cinderella, but, you know, and fill in the blank. And it's a huge compliment and a blessing that you have songs that have connected with people and have been a part of their life, but you have to wrestle as a creative person who still has new things to tell with the reality that there's going to be a, you know, hey, that's nice, but could you just play, could you play a little bit of that song, you know, more to wow. this life, you know, whatever it is. And, and you get all that going into, you know, your, your insecure artistic self, which I'm, you know, here's self-confession time, but you know, those voices, you have to silence all those and say, well, I have some new perspective of things. I have some things God, I feel like has shown me and taught me as I have lived through with the rest of the world, a global pandemic, a, a season of so much division in our country, in our world, racially, politically, even in, in the faith, uh, uh, you know, in, in our churches, so much, you know, division. And all that stuff, the way I process life is write songs and try to set it to music as I wrestle with it myself, as I tell the stories of my own experience of, well, this is, I don't have the answers, but here's what my experience is, what I feel like God's word is showing me and telling me. And, um, and so I had some of those songs and I thought, you know what, I need to write those songs and I'm going to record them and I'm going to release those songs and, um, and share them with people just like I did 35 years ago. Just hopefully I can encourage them from my own story, my own experience. And so thus a new album, a new collection of songs called Still. Uh, it's coming out in October. Uh, three songs out right now. Still, uh, Don't Lose Heart and a song called I'm Alive. Um, I got to work on this album actually with my sons uh, who are two of my favorite musicians and have a wow. band called Colony House now. I had them come in and, and actually write some songs with me and produce, help me produce this record, which was such a, such a gift to me but also got to work with some new guys that I hadn't worked with before. Um, a couple of brilliant songwriters and producers. And so it feels fresh. It feels like, you know, new music. Um, I've had some people tell me, you know, if I didn't know Stephen Curtis Chapman, I'd say, man, this guy, you know, I wouldn't immediately hear this and think that sounds like a guy who's been making music for 35 years. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels mm -hmm. new and, and, and fresh and that's encouraging. But then I've also heard people say, but, it also, when you say don't lose heart in your song, that means even more to me than if someone that I didn't know, I didn't know their journey singing that word, those words to me, because I know what that costs. I know where that comes from. So, uh, so I'm super excited to have some new music to share with people. I'm, I'm going to tour next spring. I'll be uh, taking some of that new music and some of the familiar songs and the songs that people love to hear uh, back out on the road and performing and uh, touring and um yeah just continuing to try to steward this season of life mary beth and i are empty nesters now 
So we're at the first time in our life where we're getting to spend some time, uh, just the two of us, uh, cheering our children on in their lives now of college, where Stevie Joy is a cheerleader for the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Wow. Uh, she is a cheerleader at the games. We'll be going to every home game at that that uh, University of Alabama plays in Tuscaloosa. Going to cheer her on. My boys and their music as a band, Colony House, cheering them on. Our six grandchildren who come spend every Wednesday with us, and uh, we love spending time with them. Uh, Mary Beth and I uh, just getting to do things together. We're actually in the process of seeing if we can write a book together and you know stay married and uh and so because that's quite a that's a task but um it's been an amazing uh journey we feel like we probably have a few stories to share together that might encourage people so um mm. some good things happening right now yeah you're not going to be bored i'll tell you what uh, for sure we'll keep singing keep writing keep inviting us to do life with you and um yeah, don't lose the golden oldies because it's it's those experiences that lay the foundation for what God's doing now. And when he says, sing to me a new song, uh, sometimes I think he actually means it. And he isn't going to get Amen. up and go to the restroom. <laughs> so you can be assured of that. Um, thank I you. I love it. That's, that is great. I'm thank you so that. much. <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for sitting down together and doing this today. And Everybody who's listening in on this, think about who you know that needs to hear some of what we talked about in this conversation. Um, it helps if you subscribe. It helps if you leave a review and all of that. But more than anything else, if you will personally say to a friend, a loved one, hey, I heard something today that I think will encourage you, then you invite them to step into the story of God's Word in a really comfortable and non-threatening way so we'll see you next time we get together on step into the story Stephen. thank you again i can't imagine enjoying this anything more but it also it also really ministered to me so thank you my friend you're so welcome phil bless you and thanks again for what you do and for letting me be a little part of the story thank you for joining us for the step into the story podcast powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk Through the Bible. Take a walk, change the world.